Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. I'm Rob Kennedy, and we're here once again for another episode of uh, the Revisited series, where we take a startup we've talked to in the last couple of years since the show's existed and see what they've been up to. So we're fortunate enough to have Mark of Job Hubble back again today. How's it going? Good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. No problem. I think I think you'll find that the audio quality on this episode is significantly better. <laughs> the first I, was, I wasn't complaining the first. So time. when you listen to them back to back, you'll be like, "Wow, I can actually understand what he's saying." I mumble, so no. Uh, I was like in the mic. I was eating the mic, and you were like off in a distant hallway. So this oh, one really? it'll sound like a normal human conversation. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, so why don't you tell everybody, for those who haven't memorized our that last episode, what Job Hubble is? Okay, so JobHubble is an influencer marketing platform for recruiting. So employers use JobHubble to reduce their hiring costs by 90% while also improving the candidate quality. And influencers use JobHubble to start making money from their professional social networking. Cool. Much more polished than last time. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, so we last left our heroes in uh, in 2014, <laughs> and you had said that like you'd change the, the direction of the company. I think you were about to relaunch around then, were you not? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't remember exactly when we spoke, but probably the story, the story checks out, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really the me I was talking about. Yeah. So why don't, you, why don't we pick up where we left off? So you're like, you, you realize that, you know, just going the professional recruiting route, where you're going to recruiters at companies, nah, it's okay. Okay, so, okay, so, uh, so one, uh, the professional recruiter market uh, product, uh, we've actually licensed out. As a white label kind of thing, you mean? Sort of. Uh, it's it's not really publicly, you know, I know obviously I'm being recorded right now, but I mean, like in terms of what's going to happen with that, um, it's going to come out in late September, early October. So keep an eye on that. Um, you know, I think the better way to say what happened with the professional recruiter market was that I personally wasn't able to take that to where it needed to go, mm-hmm. um, whether that was like a lack of experience or... Uh, whatever it is, I just personally didn't ha- wasn't able to check some of those boxes at that time. Um, but other people in the industry who have been successful in the industry, um, you know, were still all over the idea, mm-hmm. and they said, "Okay, you've kind of put it in your garage. You know, can we work something together?" So that's actually a really exciting thing for us um, because I still have a lot of belief in the product, and I think uh, agency recruiters or let's just say recruiting models outside of an internal HR team are gonna be making a big comeback in the near term, you know, touch wood, no economic kind of disaster. Um, Everything is shaping up to require additional resources. Things have really changed in the last eight years since the crash because it's eight years ago. Uh, Job postings are down 40%. Um, You know, LinkedIn stock was down 50% before they sold and you know, there's a lot of people, including myself, who believe it sold to Microsoft as a business development market. You know, the HR thing was really secondary, uh, and that puts a really big hole in the HR talent acquisition question as to, okay, how do we source people who aren't just like overtly actively looking, um, and how do you do that when the economy has grown over the last eight years and demand, etc. Uh, so, and I'm, you know, being at the DMZ, you know, I sit by. Uh, 80 companies and I uh, did a talk there for recruitment strategy so people also sometimes you know tap me on the shoulder when they have questions because I've you know put my hand up and said I was a recruiter Um, so I know there's a lot of pain in hiring and you know it gets expensive quickly so I think there's a comeback 
happening on on that side that's the like you know you can't do it yourself you need the the train needs to keep going thing. now job hubble uh we converted because we also felt like there was maybe a bigger overall opportunity um, on this other kind of social side. So I wanted to, you know, put that caveat that I, I, you know, it wasn't that it didn't work. It was that I couldn't necessarily make that into a viable thing. Um, it always worked well for our clients. Mm -hmm. You know, they always saved money. They hired people faster. Um, it's just you know a different thing. But so the way you found fit. I mean, basically you built a product. It worked. Um, but finding that perfect fit was not the easiest thing to do. But you're, you're saying that like people who are in the recruiting space who understood what it could do can take, like there's a, you have found a partner who can who knows how to leverage the software or the product itself yeah, in a like, more efficient way. Well, right off the bat, they don't have to raise money. Right. Right. That's a big one. Right. Um, you know, uh, so right away, you know, you're talking about you know no barrier to scale. Um, they have industry contacts that you know they can get into rooms with people you know that I would have had to work months to do. Right. Um, so yeah, it's a whole bunch of different pieces. So it sounds like you found a partner to push it through a channel that. Yeah, it's, design, it's designed. For it's it, a right? partnership in, in in every way. Yeah. Yeah. So that there's no, okay. So that you found you found a niche like I, the kind of business this is. I can't scale it beyond a certain point. So I'll partner up with somebody who understands it really well. Here's the technology. You use your your you know funnel. Whatever, and make yeah. it go, yeah. and then I'm going to focus over here on a version. Is it the same underlying plumbing, but because I think that's what you said last time, which is you like moved it, or is it significantly yeah, like, different enough now that you're like it's a different product, really? Yeah, I mean, when we first spoke, it was the same plumbing, and yeah. I had kind of refactored it, and then since then, it's required new modules as uh, as we understood the marketing and positioning of the product better. Mm -hmm. um, you know, experiment here, experiment there, you know, et cetera. So like. They're kind of unrecognizable now. Right. Uh, you know, it, uh, I don't know, maybe like 30, 40%. No, maybe that's too high. Maybe like, you know, 20% net new code. Mm -hmm. But on a 200,000 code, thousand code base, yeah. that's a substantial amount of code. So, like, if you update, I mean, you've got two products on, on the same code base, basically, more or less. Sort of, yeah. I, I guess mean, my question is if you like have to update the core, is that something you'd update for your partner and yourself? Oh, or no, no, are we, they, is it like a separate, you've carved yeah, yeah, off we that have, version? Yeah, we have like a version control, you know, for separate things. It's branched. Yeah, to use it runs on the same being. machine at the end of the day. But, sure, that's, yeah. But it's like, yeah, they're branched off like. So are you, I'm sorry to focus on this, I'm just curious, because especially focus when you're building a startup is tough, right? Because there's a million different competing priorities and you're like, wow, yeah. I found a way to monetize a part of my product. Um, are you, like, is that basically like sort of evergreen where it's like sitting there, it's doing what it needs to do? Oh no! IE thirty five came out, so we need to like tweak the UI a little bit. But more or less, you're not touching the the sausage maker on the partnered product. Uh, or is that under active development as well? Well, like if they want, let's say, new if they want something new, like a new bell and whistle, right? Then they will do that for them. Yeah. Um, but uh, as it relates to focus, right? I mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah, focus is hard, but I mean, the focus is on being successful. Um, and I don't know that my current product will be successful. I don't know that this partnership will be successful in terms of like, you know, really knowing. Obviously, I believe in both. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, like, is it like, is it a distraction? So like, let's say they're like, oh, you know, we really need Pinterest. For some reason, people are using Pinterest to find jobs and food. Uh, so you're yeah. like, okay, dude, like, I need to have a Pinterest feature. Would you go, okay, we'll build it in. 
to the platform will co-invest, I don't know, or, and then it'll also make its way into Jobhubble as well because you're building it, or you, are they different enough where you're just like, no, I'll give you Pinterest? And uh, well, it depends on what they would ask for, but okay. I mean, in, in this, let's say, for example, the Pinterest case, you know, let's say that's completely irrelevant to Jobhubble. Uh, it's probably the opposite. Then, then, <laughs> then we, would, uh, we would do it for them, but like, we believe in the opportunity so much, um, and we think there is a profitable business to be run on either side, uh, that you know, we did strongly consider. You know, are we going to be losing focus? But because um, it's not going to be like ninety percent of our time is writing code on the partnership. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's probably you know the opposite. Quite, yeah. Um, yeah. There's plenty of opportunity to do, and we think it's too big of an opportunity not to do it. Um, so it's not really that much focus. You know, uh, we're always tight for resources because we're a small team. That's so, that's why I'm asking. Because, yeah. You know, inevitably someone. Someone always wants something, right? Like, the partner is a friend. Even if you're on the best of terms, you're like, you know, be awesome, Pinterest. And if if you then sit down and you discuss it and you agree, you know what? I think Pinterest does make sense for some reason for the, your side of the business. Do you guys co-invest in that, or is it uh, it's like entirely your investment because you have a lion's share of the partnership or something like that? How do you work uh, that? I'm not sure how much I should divulge. Okay, okay, uh, but. Um, we look at both sides as a business for us. Okay. Um, so we can't uh, we can't do anything at a loss basically because of the the um, the focus issue. Yeah. Right. I can't be like just purely you know sucking air out of one balloon to fill the other. It has to always be at minimum a break even. And that, that's that's the question is how do you balance that? Because a lot of entrepreneurs find I mean there's the narrative and then there's the truth and the narrative at least in my experience is yeah. the entrepreneur is like I'm 100% focused on my business blah blah what really happens is they're like shit I got to make a little bit of extra money to make rent or this person's come to me and they're like I'll pay you $100,000 to change my red to yellow yeah you're like dude that's like cash flow with no like how do you balance the you know yeah so my my you know my feeling on this is that people like, you know, in terms of like sound bites, like, you know, easy answers, right? Mm -hmm. like kind of one variable answers, like mm -hmm. focus on one thing. Okay. Exactly. But uh, every business is totally different. And there's no way to say that in one case it will be the right answer, and in one case it will be the wrong answer, right? So uh, what happens in a theoretical sense where, you know, my influencer marketing product fails and my partnership becomes a big success? There's no way then to say that my, I mean, you could then maybe say, oh, because he you know, lost focus or whatever, but at the end of the day, I have a success. Um, but that's, how do you make that decision? Because you don't know what's going to be successful. Well, this is what yet. I'm trying to say. It's yeah. like, so what I'm trying to discuss is that you don't know. I mean, yeah. you're basically trying to make what it becomes like an educated you know, guess. The reason why I'm saying you know, in scenario A, this makes sense, in scenario B, this doesn't make sense is because that's all you can really do. And then as the entrepreneur, you need to basically, you know, put your chips on the table because, uh, it, you know, it's going to be your success or failure either way. You can't go and be like, hey, what should I do? Because people will not understand your business uh, as well as you will. And it's also the fact that the world is always changing. So also what might have been true two years ago won't necessarily be true today. So you kind of just have to make a best guess and take it seriously. So like we put, a, I put a lot of thought into whether or not to do it. Um, and at the end of the day, I just thought it was a better overall value for the company to do it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because I can always work an extra 10 hours a week. Well, that's exactly how do you how, have you yet come across that conflict of like A or B, and you have to choose this week or this month to work on A or B? 
Well, I mean, we, we you always do that when you don't have a lot of team members, yeah. right? Like, I have a litany of things I would like to get done. Um, if I didn't have my partnership, it would still be a long list of things I yes. want to get done. Um, in some ways, it almost actually makes you narrow your focus because you have to now pick and choose and whatnot. But, you know, it's like when you're bootstrapping or you're uh, even early days, I mean, um, I think you just kind of keep pushing the ball forward in terms of like, uh, product market fit, you know, figuring out the plan moving forward before you really can get into like some sort of like, you know, J curve to use enough buzzwords in one sentence. <laughs> okay, so let's focus back on to, J, uh, to Job Hubble itself. Okay. So um, you, you, you've done the partnership thing, or, and in the meantime, since about, I guess it's been almost two years, just under two years, uh, you know, that's a long time. It's a long time in the life of a, of a small company. So take us through like, you, you had the influencer marketing thing. Was it was it robust? Like, what have you learned since, say, even even last year? What did you learn from from the product? Did you is it pretty much the same way? It looks exactly the same, and it functions exactly the same as the jobs look similar. We added some stuff. Um, what did I learn? A lot of it had to do around marketing. Uh, okay. The first thing I did when I because we were previously like a B2B, right? Mm -hmm. Like kind of really strictly, and it was also in a space that I had been working in for a decade. Um, and then, you know, moving into social, I, for a while, we weren't sure if we were going to be kind of a, a B2C sort of thing. And so the first thing I did at the DMZ was I went through the list of advisors that had um, consumer marketing experience, reached out and said, you know, as fast as you can, you know, give me like a download on the 101. And so... They're like, it's really expensive. No, 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 <laughs> not like how did, not, not like, uh, like... Google AdWords. I mean, like, how do you actually market to people at like the most base level? Like, why is it when you know a steak, uh, when the cake has a commercial, you know, they're showing the steak coming off, you know, hot instead of you know talking about some feature or something, right? Like, you know, the the core as to like how do you market? Um, and so that was a big thing for us because afterwards, uh, you know, not only did we retool how we marketed, but it made us kind of go through like this experimental. Uh, uh, process or like multiple iterations where we were understanding how the various ways in which we marketed a product would have a response as to how the product was perceived uh, by the users. Um, so like, you know, that kind of like really was really uh, valuable for us and we, you know, not knowing a lot about marketing, it took us a few iterations before we could really understand. And it also takes a few months, you know, you, you go in to do like, let's say, we're going to market it as this, mm -hmm. you know, and then it causes the user to look at the way it was sold, right? Uh, and you say it a different way, and then it causes them to look at a different, like, statistic, let's say, maybe in terms of how it gets used. Um, and it helped us understand exactly, okay, what it is and what it isn't. Um, so, so, like, to interject, so you've yeah. got, like, <clears throat> I think, is the core of it that, you know, I've got a network, I know of a you know, Nick so, needs a, a gig, and so I tweet it, and he's like, "Oh, like, who are you marketing to in that?" In the well, do you marketing? want to understand like what are what are the problem that we're solving? Yeah, explain sure. explain the like mechanics. Okay, so basically, all of recruitment kind of just really focuses on on one core dynamic, which is either people are looking for work or they're not looking for work. Uh, within, let's say, the looking for work category there's still like a distribution of people who are like panically looking and people who are, you know, looking, but they're not spending their whole day doing this. Um, the rest of them, 
the people who are not looking for work, it's very expensive to find and connect with these people because it's very time consuming, right? So you post a job on the job board, only people who are looking for work apply, even and or search those, um, you know, messaging on LinkedIn. This is really all active job seekers. So life is good, life's easy, it's relatively expensive. If you can't hire out of that set, it gets really expensive. Like our numbers basically would put that if you're really good at it, 5,000 a hire. If you're bad at it, 20,000 a hire. So the issue is how do you reach all these people who will not engage on the job platforms? And so we create these, what we call job description apps. So it's a job description, but it's also a candidate referral program. It's also rewards-based job sharing. It's confidential messaging. It's social integration. And so now you have a tool that can be interacted with and shared, but I also still need to reach you. So I can either buy billboards on the side of buses and spend God knows how much that must cost. Yes. Or I can use something like us, which is influencer marketing. And basically influencer marketing highly outperforms paid ads, right? right. It's much better to have- a Referral of somebody who you know or who, who- Or just see it from an industry event or like a blogger or whatever it is. Yeah. It's not, you know, it, it's self-curated for us. So they don't post anything they don't think is cool. Right. So there is actually that legitimate like, oh, we posted it, we're just making it easier for them. And as the employer now, because of the size of social networks and blogs or industry events, we can reach literally hundreds of thousands of people through just one person's share. And the cost of that is infinitely smaller than right. any other kind of sort of, so it's better advertising, it's et cetera. And then once it goes out to everybody, then the magic can happen as to, oh, maybe you know that Nick is actually, you know, was talking about it at a party and you can refer because you get a reward or whatever, um, et cetera, et cetera. It, so basically like we give it the initial blast and then the product itself gives it an additional blast. But uh, so that's what we're, we're solving is how do you reach all these people in a cost effective way and start to build out that employer brand so that you can reduce your costs over time. So the, the consumer marketing is how do you reach as many people as possible on the blast side in a, in a cost effective way? You're asking my product or my previous evolution? Your product. So yeah, so what you, we- you, When you're talking about, because going back to the conversation we just finished yeah. to talk about the descriptions, like I had to understand consumer marketing. Because at that end. time, we weren't, at that time we had visions of maybe having a lot of just web traffic flow and being, and, uh, and that's not really uh, what we are today. Down the road, theoretically is possible because we do drive a lot of traffic to our own website. Mm -hmm. um, but really what we're, what we're good at is helping you, you know, avoid having to do a 5,000 or $20,000 hire. We can get you a $500 hire or a free hire. Mm -hmm. um, if let's say, so for example, the working group, you know, which has like an amazing employer brand um, is really well known, but maybe not known to everybody. What do you want to spend on marketing to continue to push out that message that you're amazing? If you do that through good channels, your web traffic to your career page goes up, which in turn means the number of candidate applications goes up and those are cost-free applications. But the way you do that, so the, one thing we talk about a lot is that, uh, the better you are at your job, the shorter your job search will be when you decide you want a new job. Mm -hmm. So as such, if let's say the best engineer decides he wants a new job, he goes and applies to the first five companies that come to his head. He doesn't do a whole research on them. 
companies. So he applies to like, you know, all the people you would expect. Mm -hmm. And then maybe like the second week he finds some other company. So yeah, you get to interview him, but while you're doing your second interview, they've already moved to offer and you can't actually transact on that person. So the, the point of it is you need to build up that idea in their head so that they are thinking of you when they change their job the same way Coke keeps buying billboards, right? Like Coke mm-hmm. is buying billboards because they want the next time you're thirsty to think of Coke. They're not worried that you don't know who Coca-Cola is, right? right? right. So this is kind of the, how the marketing ties into understanding. And um, so I needed to, to learn a lot about this before we could really kind of get to where we are today. Yeah, yeah. So how, like that's, you know, that to me is a, a, a lifetime of work, right? Yeah. Like, that is a you know the art and science of marketing and consumer marketing in particular. It's a very expensive uh, customer acquisition channel, right? Like yep. if you're if you're Coke, those billboards aren't ain't cheap. Yep. Uh, although they're they're fine financially. Uh, and then also like getting that art and science of you know what is the right message in the right way at the right place at the right time. That's a lifetime. So how do you <laughs> learn that in a week well, or a month w- or one, whatever? We only do HR. Yeah. Right. So that makes life easier. Like, and I'm, I was, I've been a recruiter for 13 years. Mm-hmm. I know, like I was the one who, you know, called people at their desks. Um, so I have a lot of experience as to what does and doesn't resonate and how to solve these problems in terms of building inbound candidate flow, um, how to make an impression, how to ask for a referral, et cetera. So that part, so you know, understand the channel, it's just getting the messaging right along the way. I, I know a little bit about the marketing in terms of a job. Like I know mm-hmm. what a bad job description looks like. I know what a good one looks like. I have some like sunsets that, you know, and I've physically gone through that experiment for 13 years. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like the marketing 101s, that's something I had to download and then just fumble in the darkness and try and listen and understand what was coming back and then just do the best I can. You know, I'm sure the best marketing people look at what we do and can find a million holes. Well, whatever, that they've been at it hopefully longer. So hopefully, uh, so what did you learn during that that period? Did you learn that like, was everything you're doing exactly right and you were doing it the right way? No, because the biggest thing still is the way you position your product in the sale mm-hmm. is how your product will be evaluated by the user. And that sounds just like, maybe it sounds crazy, I don't know, um, but you know. Can you give an example, like give us an example of something, you know, People thought it was like a you know poaching thing, and then it's not actually poaching so, from an ad or something. Yeah, sure. So for a time, we were we were trying to express to people what it was, um, and we weren't using the influencer marketing kind of concept. Mm. Um, we we thought there'd be an easy way to describe it to say it's a job board for people who are not looking for work. But the problem is, we said job board, and by saying job board, people then expected you post a job, and then mm. you get lots of two hundred candidates, you know. But that's not what we do because we're we're addressing the market of people that are not going to be you know searching jobs all day long. Um, and so people people's expectations. You mean the recruiter or the the people? user of our product? Right. Would then look and they'd say like, oh, I reached five hundred thousand people for you know at the time zero dollars. Right. And they'd and then they, but they count how many candidates they get. Right. You know, and the and they were they were looking at a number that was kind of different from us because I would say, okay, well, what did that do to your web traffic? What did that do if you had used this for a year? Mm-hmm. You know, how many more net free hires? What about the fact you got seven candidate referrals from people you right. don't know? But it's still so looking for the tactical, it matters. Yeah, pain 
pain and I, suffering. And I have a friend at the DMZ, and I won't you know mention their company because obviously I don't have permission to. But uh, he had a similar thing with his product where he went to a person, tried to sell it, and the guy said, I have absolutely no interest in this product. With thought it was curious, you know, went back, repositioned how he marketed it, came back, sold the identical product with different verbiage, and the guy was like, "Oh my God, this is the greatest thing ever!" And uh, you know, which kind of spawned me to say this: like, Joe, no one's going to see your company for anything other than you as the entrepreneur tell them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I joke that people walked by trees for thousands of years before someone looked at it and said, "Hey, I can build a house out of that." Right. It's, it's not in people. People aren't. It's not their job to look at products and see what they could be. Right. It's to listen to what people tell them they are. So it really matters how you how you position. So the, influ- the words influencer marketing change people's mindsets about what to expect from the product. Yes, because now they understand it's a marketing vehicle. I so see. it's part marketing vehicle. It's part job descri- It's part uh, like job description app. Right. Mm-hmm. So what are we now marketing to all these people through influencers? your candidate referral program, your employer brand, mm-hmm. uh, your hackathon, whatever that might be, um, so that you can get your most inexpensive recruiting strategies, which also happen to be your best, uh, out to a broader audience that you can't otherwise reach, and now you're getting returns that matter. Uh, so you know, it, it, that really g- structures in a way that then makes sense to people, but it took us even, you know, I'm really, it's not one of my strong suits to necessarily boil down the ocean and be able to kind of see how to position stuff. So it took me a while to figure out how to exactly position the conversation. Did that? Did that? I'm just curious. I, I think the answer. I think I know what the answer is. But did that change the budget? The, did that unlock a different budget for people? Did that come out of the marketing budget, or does this still come out of the HR? Pool? It comes out of the HR. I mean, this is actually a really good question because uh, not all HR channels think about their talent acquisition the way their sales and marketing teams think about leads, but they should. Yeah, it's a CRM uh, basically, right? You it, lead it, an opportunity. Exactly. To it into a-, a lot of companies are still, you know, just cold calling essentially, you know, for customers in, you know, when they, when they need, you know, people and they don't spend enough uh, forward investment in terms of building out a super long candidate funnel. Uh, and as such, the costs are always way higher. Like one of the reasons why growth hacking, and I'm air quoting for obviously you can't see <laughs> it, uh, the reason why people you know, are so into growth hacking is because it reduces the cost per acquisition over the long run. HR needs growth hacking, right? right. HR needs similar kind of lead generation. Uh, you know, your social page needs to be like an employer branded sort of thing. And you know, people who see your job may not be thinking about applying, but that doesn't mean you can't steer them to like your Twitter page and build a relationship over two years. Because if your company's still in business, you'll need people in two years also. Right. Uh, and what do you want to spend on that person? If you're never doing that forward investment to build out this longer thing, it just endlessly is expensive. But good companies can, you know, uh, get people so much easier. You know, they're like, oh, we're still just posting jobs. And so to give you like an example, Google is not really uh, a target user of mine because everybody applies to Google, right? They've done such a good job in advance. They don't need to market their employer brand. You know, they don't need some like everyone fix. knows you get free lunches and stuff or, like that. Or you know, it's just like everyone's dream. Or yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but as a recruiter, when I called people at their desks and I said, "Have you heard of this company?" The only time people ever said yes is if I was calling from a bank yeah. or for a bank or if some other recruiter had called them earlier in the week, 
I mean, so that's how hard it is to get your name out there, even within segmented industries. Um, and, you know, people forget. People move on with their lives. you got to kind of remind them, you know, this is a cool place. Also, it's like I think some people are like if you're, if you're in a corporate job, you might want to. Like I have lots of friends who are like, hey, Rob, the startup community, what, what's going on? And they want to work at, you know, a, a up-and-coming tech company. But where do they look? They, where do you look for something like that? Yeah. There are some boards like BetaKit is a thing and Startup North, the Facebook group has some posts and stuff like that. But you have to know to look there. And even then, that's only to a point when they're actively looking. But you don't know the ecosystem of choice yeah. that's out there and, and how to even start approaching it. So is that also like for people, have you noticed that there's like career or sort of say, I don't know what you even want to call it, but like people going from corporate to startup or vice versa, I suppose, for changing like entire tracks? Is that? Yeah. Um not so much it, it just depends on the person you know um, you know this is actually a really complicated or I shouldn't say complicated it's, it's a common conversation in recruitment which is that uh, it's all perceived so the person at the start people who are let's say work at the bank think startups are risky because when the startup goes out of business you lose your job but at right. a bank the bank doesn't go out of business, they just lay off 10,000 people, right? Right. So it's really perceived, like your job stability is kind of a perceived notion. Yeah. Really, yeah. your job stability is what your, how marketable your skills are. Um, you know, like if a big, like there's been some big stories about companies in Toronto laying off a lot of people, uh, those people didn't stay on the job market very long, right? So it's not like, it's all perceived risk. Uh, there's no doubt that uh, on average, let's say, you know, startups can offer way more upside. So I still think it's like a better place to be. Do you, do you find that, you know, as your product has evolved, there's a, a sweet spot? Is it like you're hitting sort of millennial type job seekers or like old people like me? Or is it just an entire continuum? It's, a, no, it's a continuum, you know, no uh, there's obviously more, you know, like, like to me, like social, if you've got like social networking, social marketing, yeah, that's going to hit, you know, Gen X downwards. It's not going to hit, you know, if you're 50, doesn't matter. Your, your marketing. Plan well, it depends. You're like if you're 50 years old in tech, you probably still have social accounts or you read a blog or maybe you do tech events. Right. Um, and those are our influencers. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's no doubt like 90% of millennials are on Facebook every day. Um, so yeah, that part we're probably going to help with a little more. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's not to say that we can't reach, you know, other people. But generally speaking, a product like ours is more targeted to the non-C-level job, right? Like, um, because that's just kind of a different process. Um, you know, you might need 100 engineers. You're not going to have 100 CFOs. So, you know, how do you build the, the pipeline then for, therefore, has to then obviously be, you know, orders of magnitude larger. Um, so we're, we're more of like surrounding the fort for let's say like a high level executive you know they kind of see it a little bit more in terms of their social and when they get into a conversation they got a good feeling about that mm. um, but we're going to drive better results in the lower end jobs got it so how, how do you like it's been a year or so how have you kept the lights on like is it just you've optimized finally you take a cut and then it's been enough to like how have you a little bit of everything we had saved up money um, you know, before the DMZ, where we're doing some professional services for people, also mm -hmm. on the side, um, we of course have our partnership and some other stuff. So, you know, like I think I said last time, you know, um, you know, I don't buy expensive watches and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. What I'm <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's easier to you know keep the lights on when you know you're just paying for the lights. Yeah. You know, but that's also a choice, right? Like I left the job where I made a lot more money. Uh, I'm so much happier doing startup stuff. You know, whether it works out or not, it's more of like a 
a, a personal you know desire than just like a pure like oh I'm rational gonna make, uh, maker. Yeah. well yeah I mean yeah rational sure exactly because if it works out great if it doesn't you know yeah whatever so then you know you we were talking before the show you like chose the the, the fine folks at the DMZ which is like a Ryerson which is like a Toronto incubator affiliated with the university um, you chose to move into a space like that it's co-working but it's got slightly more um, I don't know what the word is enlightened I guess than co-working okay um, yeah. why did you do that why not just you know, go into a basement or go to WeWork or something like that, which doesn't exist in Toronto. Why uh, not do something like that? Versus other co-working spaces or just in general? Well, in general, why why go to one? I mean, you could specify. We just, we thought they could help. You know, we thought it'd be a good thing. It, it was kind of like uh, uh, time for us to kind of move forward. But, you know, there's a lot of value being around, you know, other startups in a similar uh, place in terms of their business. Uh, because it's a little different when you talk to founders or people doing this stuff. It's not something you can talk about with your parents necessarily. Um, you know, it's so highly specific to conversations. But you get so much out of being with other people. Like, it's not just if people give you good ideas. It's just people sharing ideas can make you think of stuff you didn't see. Like, I get as much from the bad conversations as I do from the good because, like, the bad conversation comes around the back and I didn't see that angle because I wasn't thinking about because what the person might have been suggesting is totally wrong, but it made me think about something that I hadn't considered. And, you know, so you can get so much out of being with so many other people in different businesses and whatnot. It's just so highly valuable. Mm. So we just thought it would be a good thing for us to help move forward. We wanted to build um, like a network around us, right? Because we're a small team. So we said, you know, what the DMZ can do for us is, you know, they can facilitate conversations or events or whatever that might be suddenly now there's other people kind of, for lack of a better term, working with us to help us kind of grow. So it just made, you know, uh, a lot of sense. And of course, it's, you know, it's a free in the initial term. I mm. mean, I, I, I would struggle to understand why any entrepreneur, even if they had money, wouldn't want to participate at least for some part of it. Um, because, you know, it's just such, it's, it's all upside. So then take me back, like the, the one question I have, and this always comes up to me with entrepreneurs is that, you know, you've been doing this, I guess, for the better part of four years, because I think it was late 2012 when you yeah. started the version one of it or version point one or whatever. Yeah. And you're sort of like trying to find a path to victory. And it, it, I mean, you're not yet a billionaire. I think that's safe to say. Just sure, yeah. Just too short. Too calm. By the way, sponsor the show. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, so um, at what point do you say, you know, this is really cool and it's a really good idea, um, but it's not like... You know, you're always you're you're constantly trying to find that thing that'll generate a huge amount of revenue. Find the right thing. What point do you ever say, okay, I think I've given this a good enough go. It's time to stop. Or do you ever say that? Uh, I guess that's a choice, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just really it's a cost. You know, uh, you can theoretically you know go on forever. Um, the reason why I've always kept going was I felt like what I was f hearing back in terms of user data was that. I was close, but something was just kind of misaligned or missing. And so as I make, I've made these iterative steps mm -hmm. uh, since 2012, even since 2014 when mm -hmm. we, you know, you go out, you do something, you, you, you do, whether it's sales or whatever, um, and you know, you get some kind of response or whatever, but you can feel it's disconnected and you think about it and you're like, oh, this is missing. And then you do that. and you are then doing better than the previous iteration. So it's it's not circling around in a never-ending, going it. nowhere. You actually do kind of 
move up. How do you know it's better? Response rates go up. Uh, number of people who uh, actually buy, the amount of time they stay on, uh, the engagement from the users. Uh, if you have some sort of overall bigger strategy, you start to see that actual, you know, start to, to come through. Um, then, you know, you're like, okay, it's getting better. I'm personally of the mindset that uh, just going out and trying to build revenue with a product that's like not really got product market fit mm -hmm. isn't going to necessarily help you build a big company. It's fine to build a small company. Uh, and small can be hundreds of millions, right? Yeah. But like <laughs> you need to like really find something that just like, you know, locks in anybody who's willing to talk to you can't live without it sort of thing. Um, and so my mindset is I'm trying to work to that or get as close as I feel my opportunity is. And let's, so let's just say, for example, this last iteration is as close as I'm going to get to having a really great kind of like, you know, t rocket ship product. You know, then I'll be able to say, okay, this is as far as it goes. What's the revenue model, you know, look like? Like, what can I charge for this? What does it cost me? What does that business look like? And then just run that business. But uh, to do it before that, it, to me, it's like the point of startups, especially when they're bootstrapping, is to try to find the thing that really uh, sticks. And I don't know if that's because I overly romanticized the, the PayPal story, you know, mm -hmm. where they went through various iterations of the product before finding something that just went off the charts. Um, that's kind of, you know, uh, how I look at it. Well, it's like, you know, the, I think the same same saying with Shopify, right? It's the, it's the 12 year overnight success. Yeah, was it really right? that long? It was, yeah, long, 10, 10 years or something they've, they've been building the thing. So uh, before anybody even bothered to notice who they were, well, they're uh, like, oh no, it's a Canadian success story. It's like, yeah, but for like eight years, nobody, Gave a shit. Yeah, they were, yeah exactly. They like, the, some, like the, the actor actual. who finally gets into a big movie because no one else. Knows. Exactly. So like even let's say for example like um, if I was doing LinkedIn advertising, you know, I would you know you do iterations even on the language of your of your advertising, and sometimes you know you get like zero clicks, and then you just change the wording, you know, and you get two clicks, and then you change the wording, and then you get a hundred clicks, right? You need listicles. That's what you're missing. Listicles. Oh, uh, speed grab. Yeah. <laughs> so basically, you know, it's like you you can iterate through, and so what that says to me as the entrepreneur is like, it's not that what we're selling is necessarily always off. Maybe it's the way we're selling it, right? Um, you know, these sorts of things it, it matter. So you know, I'm sorry to say we're almost out of time. Yeah. It goes very fast. What uh, uh, you're at a point where you're like constantly refining the model. Uh, you have yet to hit the lightning bolt moment where you're probably going to get a bunch of revenue to just like blow or um, uh, investment to blow it out. I guess if if that's your path, what are you going to? What's your path forward from here? Like, what do you? What are you? Are you going to keep um, uh, listening to customers and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking? Or are you going to go like, okay, I'm going to get some another seed round to like blow yeah. out something? Or what do you? So because you're not a huge team. Yeah. So right now we're. Like most times when we finish doing an iteration, we think we have you know solved something, mm -hmm. and so we're going out now and we're going to do our early adopter uh, angle. Uh, early adopter, why? Because you know you legitimately just can't sell to everyone immediately. It's just not the way the world works, unfortunately. So we're going to go out and be and be pushing this. Uh, we have future plans that we want to do with the product. Um, that we will do after we've you know done a little bit more of just an expansionary revenue phase, um, and basically you know we're testing now to see you know just how expensive it's going to be to acquire customers um, because we know we can give them value, we know we can drive down their cost, we know that we're selling them things that they want, mm -hmm. um, 
but you know maybe it's hard to reach this customer base you know how slow is that going to be and then that will define you know how we do some of the other more innovative things that we're going to add to the platform over time as other growth so we've got the partnership you know but we don't actually actively you know do those sales right that's like we just kind of keep the their role we keep we, yeah exactly we power um, and in this we we feel very strongly about what we have and what we're doing with it um, so the path forward for us is really you know doing the hard work of you know building out revenue you know, building out leads figuring out how to do that Cool. Yeah. Well, we'll talk again in hopefully less than two years. Yeah, please. Just tell me that you can buy the show or something like that. <laughs> uh, cool. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Uh, this was Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. Thanks to Mark of Job Hubble. If people want to check out Job Hubble, where do they go? Uh, if you are a social networker, you can go to jobhubble.com. If you are an employer who's interested to learn more, you can also go there and click employers or go directly to the link, which is employers.jobhubble.com. There you go. Uh, check it out. Uh, free money for referring people to. <laughs> to free gigs. money is, is our is our is our banner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks to Nick Kuhn for producing the show, and thanks to TWG for uh, sponsoring us and hosting us. Uh, and we'll see you again next week. Thanks very much. Bye.